Rick Gerard. Really enjoyed talking to Rick. He's an expert recruiter, uh, has a great podcast, is developing an, a higher OS, higher as an H-I-R-E, how to hire candidates talks about what an a player is uh, these days with the great resignation it's very hard to get to hire quality people and what can you do about it what are some good tips what are some good angles to to interview candidates to develop your pipe pipeline and if you are a candidate that's looking you know maybe you made the move during this great resignation you're looking to uh, possible you know areas where you can go to a new company what do you do there it's a great interview he gives a, gives a lot of great insights he's an author he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu he's a podcast host i mean he's just a really incredible knowledgeable man really enjoyed this conversation with rick gerard i know you're going to as well thanks for listening hi i'm joey pins people ask me how did i lose 130 pounds the quick answer is always discipline I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Yeah. So what, may, what makes a bad hiring experience or an interview? Fascinated by your, your, your insight the- on it. From whose perspective? Yeah, let's go from the person taking the interview. Then we'll go from the interviewee, please. Yeah, so, I mean, what makes a bad interview 100% is the fact that you're not gathering any evidence to support whether or not you should even make a decision. It's all based on what your gut feeling is or your bias or, you know, hey, um, I've I've even had VC guys say, well, at the end of the day, it's really all about whether or not I want to have a beer with the person, Hmm. Um, which is absolutely just silly to me. You know, Um, the business doesn't really care what your ego needs. You know, the business needs, you know, what the business needs. And it's not necessarily it's not necessarily what you think you need a lot of time. So we got to get out of our own way and. And, and really get to the root of, of who a person is. And that's what's most important. You know, I don't want to get political at all, Rick, but I hear that every once in a while. You know, I want a president that I could have a beer with or, you know, a senator. That I could this kind of beer kind of mentality thing where I, I, I just see it a little too often where, you know, employers become friends with their employees. And yeah. um, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. But, um, you know, but is it <clears throat> is it because um, you got to take care of your people first. And I think that's super important. Right. But is it is it necessarily like, you know, everybody's business is different. Um, and, you know, it, it really had I, I mean, I don't think you have to force yourself to become employee and like friends with your employees if that's mm-hmm. what, not what the business dictates. Um. I, it's a case by case scenario, right? It really depends on the on the company and the environment. So I, I know CEOs that are so good at that, right. and I know some that are one hundred percent command and control, and they they have successful businesses. But the important thing is they own who they are and what their business is uh, from a values perspective, and they hire for that. Hmm. You talk a lot about an A player. Let's talk about that. What an A player is? Sure. 
Um, an A player to me is, you know, the strongest person that you can hire in your organization for the role. Mm. And I, and it's usually within kind of your, your um, abilities or like, you know, your constraints. So a lot of times it's tagged to like what you can pay the person, mm. um, you know, and, and there's this perception that A players are really not obtainable by a lot of smaller companies. Right. And I am here to say that that's 100% wrong. You know, there's A players in every company, um, especially successful companies. And, um, and what makes somebody an A player is that they have that passion and that drive and they see the value in joining your organization above and beyond the paycheck. Hmm. And they, they, they've got someplace to grow. And, you know, they're they're invested in as much in the business as you are. And how do you detect or determine that a players in front of you when you're interviewing them? Uh, you know, uh, first and foremost, I mean, it, it really it, it really requires you go underneath the hood mm. under to to understand who a person is, right? And and that that also delves into the work that they've done. Um, I'm a key believer, or I'm a big believer in past performance is a key indicator of future performance, hmm. right? So um, A players are typically people who know exactly what they did and how they did it. Um, they, they're the type of people who like they, they see something on the floor, they pick it up, they throw it away, right? Like they're invested into the company. Um, they look for things to do outside of what's given to them. And so all you have to do is, is find evidence of that. And, and that can be done in the very first phone conversation, which makes it really easy. You know, so walk me, walk me through something you did that, that uh, created an imp impact in your organization above and beyond your current job. You know, what did you do that maybe gained some recognition from leadership or uh, contributed to um, revenue? or save time within the organization? Like, you know, what did you, what did you look for? What did you find and how did you make things better in the company? Yeah, that'll, that's a really good way of, of finding that out. And I mean, I'm in the tech tech industry. And when I talk to a lot of my colleagues, first and foremost in their mind is, is just staffing. Second is, you know, cybersecurity for obvious reasons, but yeah. you know, uh, just staffing is, is so, so critical, Rick. And that's why somebody like yourself is so necessary. I mean, people kind of take it upon themselves. I can just kind of feel this person out and determine if they're good. I mean, I've failed many of my employees because I didn't manage them correctly. Many, many. Yeah. So what advice yeah. do you give to, to, to better help and equip these business owners trying to find great people? Yeah, I'm in the tech space too, by the way. Like that's oh. that's been my area. Um, Startups. I've worked yeah. I've worked in software as a recruiter for most of my career, and now I'm also I'm a I'm a SaaS startup founder as well. So, um, you know, there, there's there's that old adage: hire slow, fire fast, right? And and the truth is, you, you want to hire slow. You want you want to actually, if if you're the leader of a company, I think it's really important that you make a commitment to investing at least one hour a week to just sitting down and building your pipeline of future people that you're going to hire, hmm. you know, developing the relationships and, and like identifying people that you know are good and then starting to cultivate the relationships so that when you're ready for them, you have four or five phone calls to make for each type of role and boom, you can bring on one person. Hmm. So I, you know, my uh, my advice is hire ridiculously slow, mm. <clears throat> and then um, you know, and then don't fire, you know, or fire slower. And I stole that by the way from a guy named Steve Newcomb, um, who wrote a really uh, famous, you know, kind of blog that's been out there called the Cult Creation and how he built his uh, startup company, or one of them. <clears throat> so, um, I think it's really important that. You know, you think of recruiting as not an oh shit activity, but a hey, let's start kind of building our pipeline of people and, and being proactive about this. 
Um, when it's an oh shit activity, then what ends up happening is you end up making a lot of mistakes. Right. Because you, you start feeling the pressure of we need to get this position filled. And that's a really bad position to be in. And, and you know, in, in, you know, when you get in that situation too, <clears throat> you're not necessarily taking the time to understand whether or not somebody is really good for the role because you're just pushing to get the role filled. You're desperate. And that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. The concept of a pipe, you know, we try to have a pipeline of sales, but actually having a pipeline of employees, it's a very interesting concept. It's easier said than done. Um, no, it's because, actually not that difficult to do, man. It's just like having explain. It's just like, like building a sales pipeline. Yeah, but don't. They, <clears throat> but are these people unemployed that are in your pipeline? No, 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 not at all. I mean, so I have a, I have like a, um, I have a Google Doc. <clears throat> excuse me, like a Google Sheet, right? And what I do is when I identify people that I think are good or that maybe have come through my network or somebody have mentioned, I throw them on that document hmm. under a specific category. And then I reach out to them. And, you know, it's, it's very easy for you as a CEO of a company to reach out to somebody and get them to engage with you. So it's a much more effective strategy than, you know, giving it to your recruiters and, and having the recruiters do the work. Cause you know, Whenever anybody sees recruiter, especially through LinkedIn, they ignore it. Right. I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, you know, what you do is you start off the conversation and just say, hey, look at, I always hire A players. And the truth is, um, I heard really good things about you. And, uh, you know, I wanted to build a relationship with you for the future so that, you know, maybe we can talk when the timing's right for you. And that's all you're doing. You're just kind of creating that you're opening up the dialogue so that you can connect to that person at, at the more appropriate time. And it's okay. actually fairly easy because, you know, there, there's been a, um, so pre pandemic, I, it was like the, the stats were like something like 65% or 68% of people were disengaged in their current companies. Right. Mm -hmm. So then pandemic comes through and then we have the, the great uh, resignation or whatever you want to call it last year. So last year, a lot of people jumped ship because they really hated their environment. And all of a sudden there's all these jobs available and they're getting paid a lot of money. And so a lot of people were chasing the money. And now we have an opportunity where a lot of those people who left and they've been in a job for about a year are thinking, you know what? I just traded in one crappy company for another com mm. crappy company for like more money. And now I should probably be looking for something that's more fulfilling to me personally and professionally. And so there's your golden ticket. That's where you are able to, to kind of connect the dots for that person as to whether or not your organization can provide that value that they're missing. And you talk a lot about, you know, incorporating your core values into the interview. 100%. Yeah. I mean, look at, if you don't have a North star to judge people by in order to, ensure that you're going to be uh, successful in your environment, then what are you doing? You're setting them up for uh, failure nine times out of 10. Mm. I mean, we, we tend to look for somebody with a certain set of skills and then say, okay, this person's got the skills. Let's just try them out and see how they work out. And, you know, let's just cross right. our fingers right. and hope that we get them uh, to stick. And a lot of times that doesn't work. And the reason why it doesn't work People come in and, you know, a lot of people sell, a lot of companies sell like this really, you know, kumbaya environment, like we're awesome. We do all these great things and here's our perks and our benefits. And then people start there and they realize this isn't all what I was sold, mm. you know, you know, so, um, you know, a lot of companies don't own really who they are. And again, you know, hiring for, Hiring for value alignment is it's it's a little it's a bit different of a concept, but like it's wildly successful because when people align with the values, they're going to be more engaged and then they're going to they're going to perform. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of data out there about values driven and mission driven companies and how much more uh, engaged their people are like, you know, on, on average, about 40 percent more profitable 
than a non-mission driven organization or values driven mm. organization. I That's remember huge. having it's very big. I remember having a question once. We have five core values, and I uh, I didn't do this in the interview. I did it kind of in the kind of pre-interview where I said pick two and describe how you would use them in a typical scenario with customers relating to customers. So it made them kind of think about it and, and stretch it a bit. What, what do you think about that? Well, your, your values should be broken down to con like to things that are measurable. So mm -hmm. like you, you can say, well, you know, we have integrity. Well, what does that mean exactly? You know who else had integrity and Ron, hmm. you know, was, that was their number one core principle. But what did that mean? That was pretty flexible for them. So you have to really define it out what it means. And then you have to set measurables to it because how am I going to gauge whether or not you have in, you know, our, our level of integrity? I, I can't. Um, and, it, you know, so you, you really have to drill down and spend time on drilling down to like what exactly it means and, and, uh, and how it's measurable or quantifiable in the person that you're hiring on on board. Then you build your interview questions cleverly to kind of disguise uh, the fact that you're going after, like, we want to know if you've got integrity to our level, right? So whatever that measurable might be, um, for example, you know, brutally honest might be part of the integrity piece. Hmm. So you're going you're gonna to design a question that is behavioral in nature, because I want to know, again, like how you live your life, I want to understand what's important to you today, like in reality, as opposed to uh, situationally, which, you know, most people kind of, if you had this scenario come up, what would you do? I think those are really dangerous because people mm. just, anybody who's intuitive can kind of read your body language, pick up and shift and, and, and those are really easily manipulatable, right? Mm. Um, but getting back, but so, so having those uh, values uh, really tied to a behavioral question that you can d drill down deep on and understand really whether or not somebody uh, aligns with those values. And by the way, I learned that from, I learned this piece from Amazon. Amazon does this really, really well. And arguably they're probably the number one, like most successful company when it comes to hiring. I mean, really? look at their growth. And from day one, they've always hired based on their leadership principles, which are their Just, values. They're having issues now with uh, over here in the Northeast with uh, unions. They want to bring up unions. And I'm not sure if that's a leadership issue or not, but that's very interesting. I never really thought about it that way. Yeah. There's lots of, there's kind of, uh, you know, there's always, I, I had a friend at uh, an interview who asked, oh, sorry about that, who was asked at the interview, uh, you know, strengths and weaknesses. And yeah. for weaknesses, uh, she said, um, my choice in men. So, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I so, mean, Hey, <laughs> she's honest. She's honest. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, are there kind of, are those a little too gimmicky? Those kind of strengths and weaknesses questions to ask candidates? Well, do, do they tie do they tie to anything that's relevant to the business? That's mm. the question you have to ask yourself. Because I mean, you can ask really smart questions, and a lot of people do. You know, they'll they'll Google what kind of questions does Amazon or Google ask, right? Mm. And you okay, so if you're shrunk down to the size of a dime and dropped into a blender, how do you get out? That that you know, I don't know what that gauges you for, but is that really relevant to the business or whether or not uh, somebody's going to fit there? For Google, it probably does somehow. It, it's relatable, but for a small business, um, yeah, you want people that are smart. But did, you know, is that really is that really a viable question, or is it just a waste of time? Right. And so, you know, strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Uh, I I say that like you know, interview questions should be one hundred percent like they should be um, predetermined. They should be given to each interviewer. And they should be, um, the, the interview just needs to be proficient in digging underneath the hood and gaining evidence. And that's really it. So we want to make it as easy and effective and fair and consistent as possible. I think it's Google who also asks what you would do in a zombie apocalypse. Do I have Probably, that right? yeah. yeah. There's all kinds of those questions. Uh, but yeah, you're an advocate of kind of 
giving the questions you're going to ask at the interview to the interviewer before they come. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let them prepare for it. If you think about it in an interview for some people, like, you know, we do a lot in engineering and if you hire engineers, um, they're typically not comfortable in a mm. scenario where they have to come in and be around people that they don't know and they're being judged and there's a lot of insecurities there. There's a lot of things that inhibit that person from really performing to the best of their abilities. So why not make it as easy as possible for somebody to come in and perform well for you? Hmm. So that, that's why I say like we, we feed the interview questions to people. We let them prepare. If they come in and they didn't prepare for it, then guess what? You just saved me a lot of time because now I can, now I understand how you're going to operate your day. Whoa. You're telling me that Pete, you were giving the questions to them pre and they came in and weren't ready. Yeah. That's happened. Yeah. yeah that's happened for sure. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> so what, what's that going to translate to later on down the road? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had somebody years ago who wanted to do some marketing for us and set up an appointment <clears throat> and he came in and said, you know, I haven't had time to see what you guys do. What do you do? So I, you know, stood up and I walked him out of the office and I, you know, I said, this is an example of what, you know, you're not even ready. I'm going to have to explain to you what we do. It's interesting how it's just, I mean, let's just take interview to another, to another level. I mean, you're interviewing employees, you're interviewing when, when you're dealing with sales in this particular instance, where it was somebody in, you know, that wanted to do a service for us. It's not a formal interview, but it's really kind of get to know, do you, do you, do you advocate for that as well? Those kinds of questions? You know, um, I'm so focused on hiring that I haven't thought about it. But in your case where you had an outside vendor who came in and wasn't prepared, absolutely. Right. I mean, that, that's just a no-brainer to me. If, if, if I've got somebody who, um, you know, I get those spam emails through LinkedIn all the time. Like somebody sends me something. So I ask them a question back because maybe they piqued my interest. All right. So what do you got? And, um, you know, if they send me another uh, message, which is, you know, just a, another kind of follow up email that's not well thought out, I don't, you know, they're done to me. They're dead right. to me at that point. I mean, you're shopping for business and you can't prepare for, uh, I mean, <laughs> that's a key indicator of why you don't hire somebody, right? They did you a favor, right? They, Thank you. A, yeah. Yeah. Because if they're doing it this way, what's going to happen when you hire them? So what do we do? What advice do you give to actual candidates who are in that position that you just mentioned where they, you know, the great resignation resignation happened. They went to a firm, the grass is not greener, right? And they're there and they kind of want to feel things out, but they want to be careful because they don't want to lose what they have now. You know, how do they kind of branch out and expand their network of, uh, you know, possible candidates for hire? Yeah. So one of the things, there's two things that kind of re I recommend to people who are like passively looking is number mm -hmm. one, really first think about what it is that you want to do. Where, where are you missing your career fulfillment and what is it that you need? Right. And then second, identify opportunities, maybe four or five that you think are things that you'd be interested in, in working for at some point. You don't, you don't need to tackle a whole lot. And I, I give this advice to people who are actively looking for a job too. I mean, especially ones who are like, I've sent out a hundred resumes to companies and not hearing anything back. Mm. Well, um, why would you continue that? Right. That it doesn't work. Basically, you're getting hung up in a company spam folder. You're done. Like the moment you, I'm going to say something that HR people hate, but the moment you submit something to, through an HR system that, that is not completely optimized for the buzzwords that they're looking for, you're dead. Like you're not getting any response. Really? Yeah, 100%. So why not take the path of least resistance? path of least resistance to me is why don't I develop a relationship with the person who would be my hiring manager? Why don't I reach out to that person? You know, LinkedIn is so open. You can find people very easily. Hmm. It just requires you do a little bit of research. So I'm interested in XYZ company. I find out that the head of business development is so-and-so. Why not just send them a quick uh, LinkedIn message and just say, hey, look at I've 
I'm not looking for a job. However, um, you know, I'm building my network for the future. Would you be open to chatting sometime and maybe grabbing a coffee or something like that? Hmm. You're developing a relationship. Very interesting. Yeah, it works. It works really well because, you know, when you tell somebody, you know, they may have a position for you too at the time and you mm-hmm. may actively be looking. But if you say, hey, I'm looking for a job and I found your company, what are they going to do naturally? They're going to send you to HR. And so do, do you want to come from the top down or the bottom up? Mm-hmm. People who are referred into companies, the truth is if I'm referred into a company, I have a much greater chance that I'm going to be hired than if I come in through HR. That's just, that's just the truth. So what's HR's function? You know, uh, it, it shouldn't be recruiting. A lot of times it is uh, part of recruiting. Um, but I know a lot of HR professionals, like, they're wonderful, great people, and they do great with compliance and benefits and all mm-hmm. the other things that they need to keep people happy and engaged at the company. Um, however, m- most of them are not uh, well-suited for hiring. You know, they, they, they don't do it as a profession. It's kind of like, a, oh, well, you can handle all this. Um, you, you can handle the hiring too, and you're responsible for that. And I, I, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of them that are like, if you take that off my plate, I'd be the happiest HR person in the world. Um, hmm. Yeah. And where do you stand on all like the DISC and the Myers-Briggs and all those kinds of personality assessments? I think they're great tools on how you should manage that individual. I don't think they're great at all for whether or not you should make hiring decisions based on those. Interesting. Because they're giving you general data and it's not individually. And they're saying, you know, this type of role. I mean, I I don't know how you can possibly say this, this type of role requires this type of person without having the rest of the data about the company and, and how the organization is. They're just taking general data and, and, and people are making decisions based on that. It, there's no data that I've seen from any of them that support that you're making a stronger hire. Hmm. They will say that you're going to get more hires, but they can't say that that person's going to be a, a great hire, right? Like that person is going to stick it out for the, you know, the tenure of the company or however long. So, yeah, I mean, I, I again, I think they're great management tools uh, to understand your people, but not not to make hiring decisions based on. Very interesting. And yeah. as a as a true tech person, you've created Hire OS operating system. Yes. Fascinating. Uh, nobody else has done this before. I'm. It's, I, I had to think. It's wonderful. I, it's a wonderful idea. Yeah, I haven't found it. I mean, you know, um, one of my biggest complaints as a recruiter is that the people who develop software for recruiting have all been people who have never done recruiting. <laughs> and so, you know, you've got all these big, massive companies out there that are like, you know, they're solving top of funnel problems and trying to, you know, solve these hiring problems, but they don't really understand they, they haven't seen it at the level of most of us who do recruiting professionally have seen it. So then they try and sell you on things that are really, you're like, okay, that's, that's a nice little, you know, thing that creates more work for me, mm. but it doesn't really, it doesn't really solve any of my problems. Um, so I got frustrated and I decided, Hey, look at, I mean, why don't we do what we do best? And one of the things that we do on our search um, uh, in our search business is that we, when we take on a search, we actively go in with the company and we spend time and we build out an interview process so that when we present candidates to them, they're gaining, they're gaining really solid evidence to support whether or not somebody should be hired. And we've been getting extraordinary results with that because we, we've, we've got companies that, you know, we've got, we've been operating at a 98% success rate. We've got some companies that I've got one uh, client that we worked with about five years ago. And they have grown from about 60 people to over 500. Hmm. And they haven't made a mishire yet. Um, they, they really, so we were asked to come back and help them kind of put this process in place. And the next thing you know, like they're just flourishing. And they're very strict about, hey, here's our hiring process. 
and um, and it's created such a it's elevated such their 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 value to such a level where now they have a constant flow of people coming at them that say, hey, look at I've heard a lot about your organization and how you guys run it. I'd like to work there. So they haven't really had much of a a problem, especially through like I, I I'm part of EO and man, every every entrepreneur right now is complaining about hiring. I can't yeah. find good people. They're kind of just laughing and going, we can't. We're beating people away with a stick right now. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And your hiring OS does it bring it from? Is it from the? viewpoint of the business owner, the hiring, or is it from the candidate? No, it's, you know, we, we want to solve the problem, the interview and the interview is kind of that black hole or that one area in which like, really there hasn't been any solutions out there. There's just been kind of, well, you know, kind of these obscure ideas on how to conduct an interview. Um, so we, we developed higher OS as, and actually it's not released yet, but basically um, we're building a software as a service platform that essentially enables you to kind of plug that whole interview piece into the business so that when when Joe needs to show up to interview somebody, you just click on the platform. All your questions are already preloaded there. It records and transcribes it. And then essentially what you're doing is you're uh, effectively um, just having a conversation. And all that data is being uh, gathered, and um, and at the end of each question, you're getting enough detail to be able. Yep, this is a thumbs up, or no, this is a thumbs down. You know, I don't like the use of scorecards. I think they're um, they're subjective. You know, so giving somebody a ranking is, is silly. Hmm. You know, this person's. We only hire people that are fours and above. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means. So those are all opinion based. And it's pretty clear, like, if you've ever made a great hire, you probably came out of that interview going, oh, my God, this person's a hell yes. That's what every person you hire should be. They're either a hell yes or they're a no. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. And there's no there's no in between. No. Why, why should there be? I mean, unless, unless you just don't care about your business. <laughs> Some people get to that point where they're so desperate because they haven't created a pipeline that to just kind of fill a hole. And of course, that's a bad place to be. Yeah. And then what, what happens from there a lot of times? Then, then you've got people issues. You don't sleep at night. And, you know, mm. every, 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 every entrepreneurial nightmare comes to fruition at that point. Can you gain as much interviewing somebody like we are now virtually versus face-to-face? -face? Yeah, easily. Easily. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I mean, you know, we've, we've got comps, we've got quite a few companies that we work with. They're hundred percent zoom. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been remote. We've got one client that's been remote, you know, for the past 10 years and they've got 150 people and, you know, they've perfected it. Um, so it's, it's just as effective if not, if not easier these days, it's always nice. Cause you get, you get an idea of what, uh, you know, like people's environment, unless they have a background, but you get to see what their house looks like. Right. You know, you can read body language. You can kind of, you get some, some good data out of that. I was, uh, I remember when I was the, I'm dating myself, but I was told to kind of, uh, this is 30, 30, 40 years ago, but I was told to kind of mimic what my interviewer was doing like if they were you know kind of mimic what they do and to show that you're kind of in compliance you're smirking a bit bad bad advice uh you mean as as and the interviewee yes as the interviewee right yeah i mean if you, i mean i think people do do that mm -hmm. if they want to get the job you know they're looking for cues in which okay am i hitting those hot buttons for this manager because you know I want to get the job or, or, you know, most likely I, I, I want to get to the point where I at least get an offer so I can make the decision if I want the job. And that's more the case today is that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that are out there that are just collecting offers. It's a nice are place really? to be. I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, we come across people that we've, 
we've gotten the pipeline with companies and, oh yeah, I've got four offers. Great. Good luck with those. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let me know if any of them don't work out. And, you know, they'll call back sometimes and say, yeah, you know, I didn't accept any of those offers. They weren't really what I wanted. You know, perfect. Let's have a conversation. Hmm. What got <clears throat> you into this, Rick? Uh, you know, I made a left turn out of art school, um, got into recruiting, headhunting. My, uh, my cousin brought me into the business working for his company. And my training was the, the typical trial by fire. Like, here's a phone book. Here's a list of companies. Here's a candidate. Make it happen. Mm. And if you don't make it happen, good luck. <laughs> you should go find something else. Um, so it wasn't, uh, you know, and I, and I got very good at being a machine of just like, you know, figuring out the numbers and figuring out like, hey, if I wanted to increase my revenue, I mean, my my own personal income, all I had to do was make an extra placement per month. Hmm. And so that's that's kind of what I did. Um, probably about 10, a little bit over 10 years ago now or, or so, um, we, I, I was kind of not getting the fulfillment out of my work that I once did, you know, cause it's, it's nice making a lot of money, but you know, I always felt like I was a commodity as opposed to really providing value to my clients. Hmm. So, um, so I made the switch. I went to retain search and as we were doing retain search, we realized pretty quickly that. There's some really big problems. Well, I, I realized these problems before, but you don't have control over it. But when somebody's paying you up front to fill a search, you've got the ear of the executives at that point. And so, you know, we were realizing that that really, um, we work with a lot of startups that are in tech. Most of them are have no clue how to interview somebody. Hmm. You know, and and. Um, you know, every possible problem that you can possibly imagine uh, gets filtered back to the interview and, and how bad somebody might have screwed it up or made it really great. And we looked at some companies that were really solid at their interviews and we were like, OK, great. I mean, look, at they've got a solid process. They're t they're they're organized. Everything's timed out. Um, and then the missing component was, you know, uh, we're we're where people fed the right questions to ask, hmm. because again, you know, there's nothing more uh, annoying to a candidate than going to an interview and interviewing with four different people and all four of those people asking that person the same question. Uh. And that happens all the time. You know, people who are interviewing, you know, they get the resume and they have like five minutes notice and they go, okay, well walk me through your resume or, you know, tell me why you want to work here. Or they give those can questions that everybody else asks. So you're not differentiating your company in any sort of way in that candidate's mind. You're just another, well, okay, let's see what kind of offer I can get out of them. Hmm. And so you want to get yourself out of those, those places. You want to get yourself in a position where that person walks out of the interview going, I have to work here. This place is amazing. You mentioned retained search versus regular search. That's obviously where you're getting a retainer up front to find people versus getting paid yeah. back when you place. Yes. Yeah. Most uh, most agencies out there work on contingency model, which means it doesn't cost you anything. If you hire my person, I, I charge you 25 to 35% or what have you. Um, on the retained model, they're usually more critical roles, uh, either leadership or like really hard to find roles. And at those, we, um, yeah, we, 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 um, we get, we have exclusivity on the role and we're hired up front to, to go in there and develop the plan and, and make sure that we have the right person in the role. And when will it move to a subscription model where you're actually developing the pipeline and doing everything like, like everything else in our world? Um, will it happen? On the search side? No. It'll never happen. <laughs> Really? No, I'm not, I'm not going back to, uh, I'm not going back to any sort of like, you know, contingency model at all. I, I, I don't find any value that's, I, I, I don't see really very much value that's given to the, to the, um, to my, to my clients. Right. Right. But, um, it will like on the, um, on the higher OS side, you know, as we're building out our, our product, 
that's going to go to a SaaS model and, and enable everybody to kind of really DIY this process. Mm. Is is dealing with tech firms as far as hiring is concerned, is it different with tech firms than it is other businesses? I don't think so. I think everybody thinks that their business is unique and, and like, but you know, we're not in this space. We're in that space. I mean, ultimately it's a people business. Right. And you know, you just, you, you just kind of have to know that, um, yeah, it's, it's harder to find something like software engineers right now than it is to hire or like, um, I don't know, uh, marketing people or, you know, something else. Right. But, um, but the truth is like, it's, it's difficult to find good people. And that's why you want to build a proactive pipeline because then you've got people to pull from when you need. Um, otherwise, again, if you're, if you're kind of relying on outside sources or like, I'm not a big proponent of job boards. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I think there's good people that are, that come on job boards every once in a while, but, um, you know, like they, like they claim in their ads, you know, Oh, I had five unicorns that sent me their resume. No, there's no unicorns mm. that are sending you their resume. Um, especially not five. Right. But, um, you know, you're, um, you know, people, you know, at the, at the, at, at the base level, we're all people. And so, you know, just, it's no different in industry or anything like that, other than the fact that uh, you just want to create an environment that people want to work for. You mentioned that you uh, you kind of got into this. Uh, you took a left turn at art school. Where is art school where you um, kind of had a plan to be a, a Playboy photographer? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No I worked for I worked for a portrait photographer for a while when I was like going through. Like I, I did like a couple of years of junior college, get accepted into art school. And then, um, yeah, I worked for a, um, portrait photographer who was like a great mentor. He made some introductions. I actually got to work on a couple of playboy shoots, wow. which were fairly disappointing actually. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I ended up getting fairly frustrated pretty quickly because I was like working 14 to 15 hour days for like 125 bucks a day. And I'm like, this is not worth it. That, that whole poor starving artist thing just did not roll for me. So, uh, you know, then I got recruited to become a recruiter. Um, and I was like, yeah, you drive a pretty nice car. Let's do it. I mean, I was purely in it for the money. That was, that was my whole motivation at that point. And then, uh, luckily for me, I fell into a career that I loved mm. and, uh, I guess this was my, my place I was supposed to be. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. You don't, uh, you don't hear that often, you know? Uh, and then talk to me about jujitsu. How, what got you into that? Uh, midlife crisis. Um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I've, um, I always have had something in my life that I have to do. That's new. I'm, I've always been kind of a, an adrenaline junkie. You know, I was, I was, born and raised in Southern California. So I grew up as a surfer and then I was big in, I'm still big into snowboarding and, you know, things like that. I love jumping out of planes and, you know, jumping off of cliffs. I don't do that anymore because I'm old now, but, um, you know, I, I just, so, um, I had a, I had a buddy when I lived in Hawaii who worked at a MMA gym and he was like, Hey, look at, you need to come in and, and, uh, just try it out. And I was like, nah, I'm not a, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. It's not my thing. And, uh, so he talked me into it. And then, um, I realized that God, I'm, I'm terrible after him beating me up for about 45 minutes. Hmm. I'm like, okay, I got, I gotta, I gotta have some sort of skills. Cause this is, this is God awful. So I started out in MMA and then, uh, we moved back to California a few years ago and I, um, I, you know, kind of have wrecked knees from a lot of the activities that I've been doing. So I really couldn't do the stand-up stuff that much. So I just started doing jujitsu. Mm. And at first I didn't like it, but then it kind of, it, it, it's one of those things that all of a sudden kind of click and you get addicted to it. And so I've been, I've been, yeah, I've been training for probably about nine years now, wow. Brazilian jujitsu. And uh, yeah, I finally just got my black belt last year in May. 
Congratulations. Which is awesome. Oh, God, it'll be a year this year. Woo, weird. Yeah, May's coming up. I, I just started doing uh, jujitsu. It's the, it's the discipline that attracts me the most. I just see yeah. it doing such wonderful things to so many friends and so many people I, you know, look up to and, and talk to. It's just you immediately think, well, it's fighting. You know that, that then they'll be prone to fighting when it's actually just the opposite. You know, it's more of you know discipline and how to maintain yourself and to remove yourself from these situations. And it's. It's very yeah. attractive to me. Um, we talk a lot about discipline on the podcast. You consider yourself disciplined? Um, I, I consider myself somewhat disciplined. I'm actually more one of these people that when I start something, I have to finish it. Hmm. I and mean, I had like a, I had mixed feelings about getting my black belt. I'm like, oh man, like I was working so hard toward it, but then I got it. I'm like, oh, now what? Right. <laughs> you know, so. I know it's kind of the beginning of the journey, but at the same time, I felt like uh, I, I really, um, I, I probably, I'm itching for something new. Hmm. So midlife crisis number three is probably kicking in. Wow, you've got them <laughs> numbered. Very interesting. What, <laughs> what motivates you, Richard? What motivates you? You know, what motivates me is seeing the success of the others around me. Like mm. I, I love to, um, I love to kind of be a catalyst for growth. You know, and I love like I love building things. I love um, I love seeing entrepreneurs succeed. Like that's uh, that's really rewarding to me. Um, sounds kind of cheesy, but like you know, it, it's uh, I, I'm like I'm all in on startups and small companies and yeah. and, and and helping them to grow. It's very rewarding when your friends do well. For me, it is yeah. when your true friends do well, or, or or colleagues do well. It's just, it's just, I don't know. When you do well, and then, you know, it it, it kind of it's short lived, like you just said. For me, anyway, you just kind of get to this point. You you achieved it, and now what? You're looking for your next, your next. But when you see others kind of prosper, and you, and perhaps you had a small part in it, it just it's 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 so rewarding. How do you yeah. measure? How do you measure success? I, you know, by my network. I mean, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, as I, as I make better friends and elevate kind of my, my value in the eyes of my, my colleagues, then, um, that's how I measure my success. I mean, if I can help, uh, you know, I'm a big, I'm part of EO and, uh, you know, like I, I spent a lot of time there. Like if I can help their success, like if any of my, 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 uh, forum members or anything like that, then yeah, you know, I'm, I feel like that's where I'm, I'm going to be successful. Yeah. Very, very cool. I really enjoy your podcast too, Rick. I, oh, you, thank you. You have a real, you do a really good job of, 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 I admire so much. It's just kind of, you know, you have kind of a theme and you're, and you're talking about it and you're, you're never arrogant. You know, you're, you're always just, you're, you're placing the facts, you're adding, you're kind of cut to it. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden it's 20 minutes and your podcast is done. I'm like, wow, that was incredible. It was quick. It seems so kind of brief, but yet strong. Uh, you do a really good job. Tell us also about your book, Healing Career Wounds. Yeah. So the book was, uh, came into fruition because again, I don't scale. And the idea is I want to be able to um, provide this blueprint for entrepreneurs that they can plug into their business. And so I wrote it, you know, you asked me if I was disciplined. Yeah. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. Um, but I knew that in order for me to get a book done, the only way I was going to do it would be to wake up really early in the morning, not turn on any lights, read the last paragraph and then just start writing. Wow. And that's, that's what I did. And it took me about three and a half months to write it, but then it took me about a year to put it out. Right. Um, because once I, and basically what I did was I just barfed out everything. And then I, um, I was lucky enough to find a, a really good developmental editor who kind of came in and helped really bring the story together and, and make it really good. Um, the idea is we want to give um, entrepreneurs the tools so they can just plug in a hiring and like in hiring an interview process into their company. So it's, we've got everything in the book down to the scripts of what to say and how to say it exactly how to say it. Words are all tested out because, you know, worst thing you can do is, is, uh, try and recruit somebody and then put fear words in there. Right. Mm. So we've, we've taken a lot of care into, uh, 
into giving somebody the tools to succeed. Very cool. Yeah. I really enjoyed our time together. Tell us, whoever's listening, how we can get in touch with you. Yeah, most definitely. Well, you can always reach out to me via email. Um, I take a few days to get back because I'm terrible with email, but I'm Rick at Stride Search, S-T-R-I-D-E-S-E-A-R-C-H.com. You can also find my podcast, which is Higher Power Radio, and that's H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com. Um, it's not a religious show, obviously it's about hiring. <laughs> and, uh, and then of course, um, you can find my book on any, any of the book outlets, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. And that one's called healing career wounds. And, uh, the idea behind the title of the book is that it's the punchline. You'd think it's actually for candidates, but it's written for companies because if you can actually demonstrate that you can heal a person's career wounds then they're going to lean into wanting to work for your company. Mm. And that's way more valuable today than it's ever been. Very cool. I'll put that all in the show notes as well. So people have links to it. Rick, thanks so much for your time. I hope one day we get, uh, you know, have a cup of coffee together and you could uh, show me some uh, moves on jujitsu. I'm very new at it, but uh, <laughs> I'm starting to get that passion. I'm oh, you don't want to roll there. with me. I like yeah, to put people yeah. to sleep. Oh, <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. Unless, unless, as long as you know how to tap, like that's the first lesson oh, you I learn tap. as a white belt, right? Oh, yes. Just tap. I tap. Just tap. Yeah. I've tapped. Yeah, I'm an expert. That's one. That's one thing about jujitsu you learn really quickly is the ego goes away like oh, yeah. quick. Yeah. That is another thing. Yeah. you th Again, another misconception. You think there's a lot of, and there may be in other gyms, but not in mine, but everybody, the ego is gone. The ego is gone. Everybody, oh, yeah. Humility, humility is there. And, you know, there's, you know, there's 19, 20 year old, you know, male and females that I, I, I certainly would tap out of, you know, humbleness oh, yeah. is, is all part of it. Rick, yeah. thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. I look forward one day to, to seeing you face to face. You be well and have a great day. Thanks again for doing this. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Joe. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you'll find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, $50, $100, $500, $1,000, $5,000. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations.